0: Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to do a basic message this morning, but I want to preach this message in preparation for observing the Lord's Supper to give you an opportunity to prepare your heart for that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Also, I wanted to tell you, I just about forgot, but... Last Sunday, my, my friend Eddie was here, and he said he really enjoyed being with the church. And he said it was just really uplifting for him. He's very thankful for it. And he said to me, he said, you got a good thing going here. <laughs> and the Lord has a good thing going. But, um, so thank you all for uh, ministering to him while he was here. So 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23, I'll begin reading. Verse twenty three <clears throat> And this is Paul writing For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks he broke it and said, Take bread. Eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also, he he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. Till he comes. So, a very simple observance uh, of this Lord's Supper. This is where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. It was not elaborate at all. They had just finished having the Passover meal, and they're sitting at the table together, reclining actually. Jesus passes around bread, and they each take a piece of the bread and pass it to their brother. And then Jesus passes around the cup, and they each Drink from the cup. Um, Very simple. uh, But it's packed full of meaning. So that's why I like the way that we do it. We try to keep it as simple as possible. But there's beauty in the simplicity of this ordinance. The Lord's Supper. And Jesus said this. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you so much for the greatest day in uh, human history this far uh, has been the death of Christ, our Savior, and our Lord. That was the greatest display of your love and of your grace and we thank you for it. There's no doubt about it that you love us with a love that will not stop. That you offer pardon and forgiveness and continual cleansing as we walk in the light with you. I pray that you bless these that are here. I pray that Jesus Christ would be exalted this morning. And I pray, Father, if there's somebody here today that's not saved, that's with us in this meeting, hearing this message, Father, that today would be the day of salvation. We pray for the souls of the children and for the children's workers as they work with them. Father, I pray that they would be saved, God. And I pray that you'd open up their little hearts so that they might receive the love of the truth. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, we normally observe communion on the first Sunday of each quarter. uh, And so this is the first Sunday of this quarter And it's something that we we don't observe every Sunday. Um, Some churches do. Some churches, they'll do it twice a year or maybe just once a year. Um, I like doing it the first Sunday of each quarter, uh, having done it now for four years here. Uh, And then I think sometimes on a special occasion, maybe doing it more often. It's something that's supposed to be done with the church. It's supposed to be done with... Uh, leaders in the church overseeing it, a pastor and deacons, it's not supposed to be done privately at home or anything like that. Through uh, COVID, you had people getting creative with communion and people doing it online and all of that. I don't think that that was appropriate. It's not something for families to do at home. Uh, So it's something that was led by the apostles at first and then was led by the pastors of the church. But Today, my message is this. How should we think of the Lord's Supper? When the pastor says, like I said last week, let's come prepared next Sunday to take communion. Um, What do I mean when I say that? What does it mean to come prepared? What should we think about this? Well, first of all, Scripture tells us that it is a time of remembrance. In verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. It's a time of remembrance because in verse twenty six, for as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show or shew the Lord's death till he come. So it's a it's a backward look, looking back into the past, remembering the Lord's death. And 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 Paul said that when we do this, we're actually showing. It's a it's like a it's a picture of our Lord's death. And we're showing to the world that we celebrate it. We remember it. We look back toward the death of Christ. It has meaning to the church. So it's a, it's a time of remembrance. So when we come together... And we sit and we have the cup in our hands. Or we have the, the cracker that we use. There would be nothing wrong with using you know, a, a piece of bread. And, and unleavened bread is what it would call for. And we could, we could break bread up into chunks. Uh, but the purpose is that it's, it's there and it's a symbol of something. And as we do that, we're supposed to be remembering the Lord's death. Thinking about what we know. Meditating on it. Thinking about what it means to us. So, Paul received these instructions directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was saved miraculously during a post-resurrection appearance of Christ on the road to Damascus. And when that happened, the Lord took Paul aside for some time in the desert and taught him all of these things. And taught him, this is what you, you should say to the churches when you're instructing them on how to uh, receive the Lord's Supper. And so this is something that he received as divine revelation from Jesus Christ Himself. And we have two elements. Two elements. Verse 24, When He had given thanks, He broke the bread and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. The bread represents the body of Christ. Very simple, yes. But when you're taking it, we should look back and we should remember His body upon the cross. It it, it represents that He died for sins on the cross. What was He doing there on the cross? He was there for a very specific purpose. He was there to, to die for us. He lived so that He could die. And He died so that we could live. I don't know what you like to think about when you take communion. I think about different things. Sometimes I think about His body there on the cross. And I think about the nails in His hands. Or I think about the way that He agonized and suffered. Sometimes I think about the shame of it all. He, he hung there naked upon the cross. Humiliated upon the cross. Uh, he was made fun of. People derided Him and... And uh, said things about him that weren't were not true, and falsely accused him. Sometimes it might be a week where I have come out of a situation where somebody has falsely accused me of something. Maybe you've gone through a time recently where somebody has falsely accused you. It was not just. It was not right. And, and maybe you just took it as the Lord did, not trying to defend himself, but just said it'll all come out in the wash. Uh, it'll all come out at the judgment. And God knows my heart on this thing. But you could say, as you look at that bread, you could say, my Jesus was falsely accused. Can I not endure this with Him? Because I, I endured my suffering and my, my false accusation in a very small way. But his was greater. I, I don't know what it is that you might think about, but we're supposed to look back. And think about it, and I think every time it's just something different. But you ought to say this. You ought to say, when Jesus died on the cross, He was suffering for me. You see, because a lot of people, will they're okay with the Bible. They're okay talking about Jesus died for sinners. Um, they, they believe that He was buried, that He rose again the third day. They're okay with the doctrine of the church. Uh, and all of that, there's a lot of people out there just like that, but it hasn't yet got, gone from being something that they know in their head to a heart matter. That, oh yeah, he died for my sins. I am a sinner before God. I am guilty. I am undone before God. Uh, dear, dear people, I... I, I I plead with you Sunday after Sunday. Many of you, I think, are are saved. Maybe most of you, maybe all of you. The Lord knows. But after pleading time and time again, I continue to preach the old gospel and the old story. Why? Why do I do that? Well, I'm commanded to. I do that so that you know if you bring somebody into church, they're going to hear a simple presentation of the gospel. Amen. Because people are either going to own Jesus Christ as Savior, Redeemer, uh, the one who forgives their sins, the one who uh, blesses and uh, and, uh, gives eternal life. They're either going to know Jesus Christ as Savior, or they will know Jesus Christ as a condemning judge. One of these days they will know Jesus as the one who said, Depart from me, and they will endure the wrath of Almighty God For an eternity against their sin and their guilt. And so it's one or the other. How do you know Jesus today? If you don't know Jesus as Savior. I mean if you just know in your heart of hearts. I've not done it. I've never asked him to be my Savior. Don't take the bread. Because this is for believers. This is for people who know. I'm doing this to remember that Jesus died for my sins. And he died for all of them. But if you say, I've never trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Well, get saved. And if you get saved, then what you can do is you're baptized baptized and then you're accepted into church membership. And then you may take communion. Hey, if somebody's not saved here today and you get saved today, I'll tell you what. When you get baptized... If you come back and get baptized, baptism happens after salvation. If you come back and get baptized, we will have a dual baptism and the Lord's Supper in one service so that you can take communion with us. Because God wants you to do that. But it's not for unbelievers. I've seen that before at churches. I've seen them pass around the plate to kids that are not saved. I've seen them... Uh, I've been with people who were visiting to church and family members that I knew had not trusted Christ because I'd been witnessing to them and they just kept putting it off and putting it off. But they'd go up to communion. And I think, why did you do that? You won't trust Christ as your Savior because you don't want to let loose of your sin and you want to do your own thing. But you take communion? No, it's, it's for believers to remember Christ's body hanging on the cross. And it's also a time of remembrance of the cup. The cup. So notice there in verse um, 25. After the same manner also He took the cup. When He had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in My blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of Me. The cup represents His blood, which was shed for us. Hebrews 9.22 says, "...without the shedding of blood is no remission of sins." We learn in the book of Revelation that Jesus, as the sacrifice, He's the sacrifice on the altar, and He is the high priest. He's both sacrifice and priest. That He washed us from our sins in His own blood. There are churches today, the pastor or the preacher will not say that word, blood, because they're afraid of offending Some, uh, you know, uh, uh, hoity-toity affluent people in the congregation, you know, the tithers, (laughs) afraid of offending them, so they don't talk about a bloody religion. Listen, it's not just enough that Jesus died for us. He had to shed His blood. If He would have just uh, expired in some other way, maybe through strangling, it would not have done the job. He had to shed blood. His blood. It is His death and His shed blood. And, and dear folks, I know that some struggle with eternal security or with assurance of salvation. And, and you just have to look back. All you have to do is look back and meditate on what Christ did on the cross. When He hung there on the cross, what were the last words that He said on the cross? He said, It is finished. That's the work of redemption. It meant paid in full. He paid for all of our sins. Not just our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Paid in full. Past, present, future. So that means, folks, when He died, He paid for all of your sins. All of them. Salvation is not this agreement where I take Jesus as my Savior and then if I do my part, then God will let me go to heaven when I die. No. You take Jesus as your Savior trusting that His death on the cross paid for all of your sins. And the work for our salvation is finished. It is finished. You can't add to it. Trust in that. As you look at the, the cup... Say, praise God, Jesus, wash me from my sins. And you'll either go to be with God in heaven with the imputed righteousness that comes from trusting in the atonement and the cross, that, that righteousness that makes you ready and acceptable in heaven, or you will be rejected by God with your own self-righteousness to pay for your sins yourself in hell. That's the difference between who gets saved and who doesn't. The person that comes to Jesus, trusts in what He did on the cross... They are the ones that benefit from his, his death. His body and His blood, they benefit. Think of Jesus Christ when you take this this morning. You know, it's so easy for us to forget the sacrifice of Christ, isn't it? This is why we do this. We come back to this precious chapter time and time again. There's other ways to do it, but we do it because we can forget so easily. I know I do, but we do it quarterly so that we remember what Christ has done for us. We remember Him. It pleases Him. That's what He wants us to do. He doesn't want us to forget what He's done. And, and guys, it's, this truth has, has survived for 2,000 years because of this. The Lord's Supper helps us to remember It helps us to remember His sacrifice, His suffering. How easily we complain about the small sacrifices that we make in life. How easily we complain about the pain that we have to endure. I don't like pain. Do you? Is there anybody in here who enjoys pain? I think women can endure more pain than men. I think God providentially gave them that ability because He knew that they were going to have to give birth to children. But I don't like pain. I don't think anybody does. The other day, I, I was heating up. Uh, I like to uh, drink a little bit of milk at night if I can't fall asleep, and so I put this milk in the in the microwave. But I, you know how when you put like a cheap mug in the microwave, the material that it's made out of is not microwavable. So when I grabbed that thing and I put my hand on it, it went, and I was like, ah! And I pulled my finger out, and I could see like right around there a second degree burn right away. Second degree burn. That's just silly. That's just a small thing. I've hurt myself much worse than that before. But guys, that hurt. And it still hurts. Second degree burn. That's painful. That's nothing. Nothing to what hell is going to be like. In the lake of fire. Don't go to hell. If you're not saved, don't go to hell. Don't go to hell. Because the pain doesn't just last a little while. And you don't get a band-aid to cover it up. It lasts for eternity. But how, li- how easily we complain about the small sacrifices that we have to make. You might be thinking this morning as you take the bread and the cup that you've had to sacrifice something. Or you have endured some pain. Think of Jesus. Think of His sacrifice. Think of His pain. You can endure it. And you can endure what He calls you to go through with joy. Here's a great illustration of the hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow. I love that hymn. One of my favorites. Lately, Beth and I have been listening to His Eyes on the Sparrow at home. Early in the spring of 1905, this is the testimony of Sevilla Martin, the woman who wrote the words that became the song. She said back in 1905, her husband and and she and her husband were sojourning in Elmira, New York. That's the way they talked back then, I guess. We contracted a deep friendship for a couple by the name of Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle, true saints of God. Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle had endured uh, pain, had endured great pain. Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for almost 20 years. Her husband was an incurable cripple who had to propel himself to and from his business in a wheelchair. Despite their afflictions, they lived happy Christian lives bringing inspiration and comfort to everybody that knew him and knew his wife, because they saw what they suffered, and yet they were so cheerful and so joyful. One day, while we were visiting with the Doolittles, my husband commented on their bright hopefulness and asked them for the secret of it. Mrs. Doolittle's reply was simple. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Sevilla wrote, The beauty of this simple expression of boundless faith gripped hearts and fired the imagination of Dr. Martin and me. The hymn, His Eyes on the Sparrow, was the outcome of that experience. That is proof positive that if we keep in light all that God is and all that Christ has done, that we can go through tremendous suffering and hardships and even pain in this life and do it Joyfully, cheerfully. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Listen, I don't think it's wrong to question why God has allowed a certain thing to happen. I don't think it's a sin. You say, you don't? No, no I don't. You know why? Jesus on the cross, one of His seven sayings, was, my God, my God, why? He asked why. On the cross. Jesus was a perfect sinless sacrifice. He never sinned. And he didn't sin when he asked why. That was Jesus in his humanity. Suffering. And by the way, that is the cry of a a lost soul in hell being forsaken by God. But he asked why. I don't think it's a sin for us to ask why. Why someone has died. Why we have contracted this this illness or this disease. Why we have to suffer so. Why I have so many health troubles. Why I had to bury a child. I don't think it's wrong to ask why. And I don't think it's wrong. As a matter of fact, I would say to you, in my limited experience, having not suffered very much, but some, I would say to you this, I would say, as a matter of fact, take your why to God. And pour it out to Him. Pour out your heart. Empty it all. Just get it all out. Just get alone with the Lord. No distractions. Get alone in a room. And just get it all out. And tell Him God has broad shoulders. He can handle it. But I would say this. Don't stay there. Don't stay in that place of why. Because that can lead to bitterness and skepticism and all kinds of temptations, that's, give, that's basically opening up the door of your life and letting the devil put a toe in and get a foothold in your life. Don't do that. But you've got to pour it out to God because He's the only one that can help. But after you've done it, then you commit to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to trust You in this. And I'm going to need Your grace every day, sometimes every minute, to help me through this so that I can go through this in a way that will be honoring to you. And Lord, right now I feel like my faith is under attack. I feel like my faith is small and weak and uh, and almost gone, so I need you to strengthen my faith. And then when you ask God to strengthen your faith, to just trust Him now, because heaven is for understanding, right? There's some things we're just not going to understand down here. And earth is for trusting, right? And say, God, I'm going to need your... I'm going to need you to increase my faith so that I can just trust you through this. And then, I would say, do the things that will build your faith. Like being together with God's people. Being around people like this, the do-littles. That strengthen your faith. Reading the Word of God Daily. Maybe it'll be the first time in your life that you ever got serious about making a real study of the Word of God and reading it and praying regularly. Doing things that strengthen your faith. Becoming a witness for Jesus Christ. And coming to observe the Lord's table and thinking about these things. We look back, we think of His suffering, we think of His dying love for sinners And we seek fellowship with Him in the midst of our suffering and of our sacrifice. Which is small in comparison. Secondly, just briefly, we think of the Lord's Supper as a time of self-examination in verse 27. Just briefly, self-examination. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily. The cup is the Lord's cup. It comes from the Lord. Of means source. That means this cup comes from the Lord. And he says, do not drink it unworthily. Unworthily. There's two ways that you can participate this morning as a believer in communion. It was true for Corinthians back in that day. A church that had a lot of troubles. A lot of sin problems. And it's true for American churches today. We have a lot of troubles. We have a lot of sin problems. There's two ways you can partake. You can be a partaker that examines yourself first. Or, you can be a partaker that does not examine yourself. If you examine yourself, you can take of the cup, worthily. Now, the word worthily is not the same as worthy. Worthily is an adverb, and it modifies the word eat. So, if you had the word eat, and you drew a little arrow underneath, and put worthily, worthily is modifying the action, not the person. The action of taking the bread, drinking the cup, not the person. Dear people, I love you in the Lord, but you're not worthy. And neither am I. You're not worthy. He wants us to eat worthily. What does that mean? Well, it's not character that the apostle has in view. It's conduct. I want to warn you about being flippant or irreverent. When you take this fooling around, kind of being indifferent, don't, don't make it an afterthought. This is something that takes great preparation of the heart. We should not be casual, even though it's simple. We should not be casual about taking the Lord's Supper. It's very, very serious, and it's a part of our worship. And our attitude has to be right. We have to take it worthily. Meaning our, our attitude, the way that we take it. And we should take it examining ourselves first. You say, what do I examine myself for? Unconfessed sin. We know that sin, not, not just a practice of sin, but one sin, any sin, it severs our fellowship with God, our relationship. Not our salvation, but our relationship. It hurts our relationship. And so you have to take care of unconfessed sin. Sin should be confessed the moment that it's uh, committed. And once you take care of that, and you say, Lord, help me not to do that again. And if you can say in your heart that you know that you want God to help you to change, you don't plan on just walking out of here and going right back to the same behaviors that, that, that got you out of fellowship with the Lord in the first place. But you say, Lord, I want to confess this. Help me not to do this again. And when you do that, take of the Lord's Supper. Partake worthily. Again, not that you are worthy because you're a sinner just like me. And we're not worthy. But if you examine yourself and humble yourself and confess sin, then you're ready to take it. Those that have not examined themselves, that's the second way that you can do it, they are judged for it. Notice what Paul says. Let a man examine himself, in verse 28, and then eat. Okay, That's he that is doing it worthily. Verse 29, here's somebody who did not examine themselves. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily... Eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the body. That's not the damnation of the soul. That's the damnation of your body. Physical illness, even death. Damnation is used in a a variety of ways in the Bible. And it has to be defined in context. It's not talking about the damnation of your soul. You say, how do you know that? Because look, verse 30. People who take it unworthily with the wrong attitude and unconfessed sin, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. You see, many are weak and sick. This form of judgment is chastening. It's Hebrews 12 in the Bible. You could read that afterward if you'd like. Those who have accepted Christ but are walking in the flesh will be chastened as severely as is needed by God. If you're not chastened, it may mean that you're not even a Christian. In other words, if you can sin and you have no problem with it, no guilt, no depression, anything like that. If there's never any chastening from the Lord, you may want to check your salvation. Because the Bible says that the Lord chastens His children. But if you are sinning and and you feel bad about it and you know it and you know you're in trouble with God. Listen, He says if you keep doing this communion, it causes sickness. I didn't say that, the Bible says that. And then he says, many be dead. This is a terminal judgment. And it's frightful. But, do you know that faithful church attendance may lead to longer life? Listen to this, this is interesting. The American Medical Association has found no secret to attaining a long life, but it says that most 100-year-olds that are interviewed share these traits. One is that they share the trait of being easygoing in their disposition. Easygoing. Secondly, they, they, they all had a quick sense of humor. Learned to just enjoy life. And thirdly, a desire to keep as busy as possible, both physically and mentally. They found that all of these hundred-year-old people had these things in common. They stayed busy, kept their minds sharp. And then they said this, fourthly, in addition, the AMA reports most of them claim to be lifelong churchgoers. Isn't that interesting? Church-going leads to longer life, may lead to longer life. So listen, in conclusion, I want to emphasize that this is a very, very serious warning about taking it worthily. In the fall of 2003, a string of Southern California wildfires claimed 24 lives. When complaints were made that not enough warning was given by the authorities, one fire official said, quote, We begged people to leave the area, but they didn't take it seriously. Some wanted to stay and fight the fire in the backyards with garden hoses. Some looked like they were packing up for a trip. The ones who listened to us and left the area lived. The ones who didn't died. End quote. Like those who ignored the fire wardens, there may be someone here today who will ignore this warning in the Bible and be the one that God chooses to make an example out of. Don't ignore the warnings in the Bible. The church at Corinth had a lot of problems, just like we do today. And Paul told them, take the cup, eat the bread. You can do it. Just do it after self-examination with the right attitude. Do you have unconfessed sin today? Is there something that you need to take care of? We're going to give you an opportunity to do that. Um, Let's stand with our heads bowed just briefly, our eyes closed. And then we'll be seated again and we'll take communion. But I just want to give you an opportunity right now, just, just before the Lord, with heads bowed, eyes closed, just to take a moment to get things settled, to set things right if it needs to be. Uh, It only takes a few moments to set things right with God. Just with heads bowed, eyes closed, let me just ask you a few questions. Are you planning to take communion today? If so, have you examined yourself? If you haven't, if you didn't come prepared this morning to church, already prepared, you can do it now. If you have unconfessed sin, just confess it to the Lord. All you have to do is confess the sin that you know about. And say, Lord, help me not to do it again. And don't do it flippantly, mean it. Lord, help me not to do it again. And then when you do that, God cleanses us from all sin that we don't know about. So that we can continue in our relationship with Him. Having nothing between our soul and the Savior. And I want to ask you this last question. Are you taking seriously your commitment to the Lord as a believer? Because you've got to be taking it seriously to be taking this worthily today. Lord, I pray that you'd bless today, and I thank you for this, this precious time, very serious time. Lord, what happened on the cross was very serious, very sobering. And God, I, I thank you so much that although we are not worthy, None of us are worthy to go to heaven. None of us are worthy to take and, uh, of these, of these, of these uh, signs and symbols of what Christ has done for us. But I thank you that through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us, Lord, that we can partake today. You've given us a few things to watch out for to prepare our hearts, and I thank you for this instruction today. And God, may we serve you in a godly fear. And in sincerity. I pray that you'd bless these that are here. Bless myself as well. As we sometimes struggle through this world with sins. I pray that you'd give us victory over besetting sins. But help us Lord to keep coming to these things. To strengthen our faith. And to keep participating. And Lord uh, I pray Father if there may be one here today. That is suffering something. That someone who really has sacrificed something. That Father that you'd help them to take those steps. That will lead them to a stronger faith. And even a joyful, a joyful faith. And Lord, we thank you for these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Could could I have our, you could be seated please. Could I have our ushers come ahead? Um, And then also if somebody would grab the children uh, and the children's workers.